Well, hello, and welcome to Marketing in the Raw. That is the podcast, and I am the host, Adam Elway. It's my goal to expand how you define the practice of marketing and your vision of where it's headed, especially in a digitally connected world. The personal me and the professional me. How should I maneuver between the two? Should I keep them separate? It's a question I've been asked a hundred times. Where to draw the line between the professional you and the personal you? In this episode, we're going to challenge you to blur the lines a bit with the help of my guest. Today, I talked to Ted Rubin. He's the CMO of Photofy, a social marketing strategist, an author, a speaker, and the host of the Brand Innovator Summits. He's also the author of numerous books, including Return on Relationship and The Age of Influence, Selling to Digitally Connected Customers. Today, we talk about the risks and rewards of tearing down the barriers between who you are personally and professionally. Ted shares the benefits businesses can unleash by fostering a culture of straight talk within their teams, and he explains how to build up trust by speaking up and speaking your mind. And one last thing to note about this interview with Ted is that I recorded it before the pandemic. So keep it in mind, if you hear anything about Ted traveling or anything else going on, that this was recorded before the pandemic and all of the lockdowns. Let's talk to my straight talking friend, Ted Rubin. Ted Rubin. What 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 state are you in these days? You're always traveling all over the place. There's always some photo of of your socks on some airplane someplace. Where are you these days? That's very funny. Um, well, if you if you remember, the last pair of socks was me heading home, and I am here. I am. You caught me right before I'm leaving. I am back on the road first thing tomorrow morning, heading up to Long Island uh, for Friday and Friday night. Uh, New Haven on Saturday, um, Philly on Sunday, and then New York City Monday and Tuesday. And you got a different, a, a different uh, fancy pair of socks for each of those flights, probably, right? Well, fortunately, it's only two flights, but uh, because the rest are, are real close, I'll be. If you know the area, Long Island, New Haven, Philly, I'll be driving. But yes, I of course have different socks for the flights. And I was reading uh, something that you had in your in your newsletter. I didn't realize that in addition to, I mean, you always got nice shoes, but I didn't realize that you were. Are you a little bit of a sneakerhead? Something I didn't know about you. Well, my business partner is a lot of a sneakerhead, John Andrews. Um, and I've, you know, I'm like, who doesn't love sneakers? So, but just because of him, just like we do with, with people we're around or people we spend time with, it's become something that's more like I, I get into it a little bit more. My guess is if you saw a really hot pair of like Nikes, those were John's. But, but yes, I, I, I love my Allbirds and, and a few other things. And, uh, just not to the degree. I really wouldn't call myself a sneakerhead, but I like sneakers. And you appreciate good shoes. You got to pair good shoes with good socks, right? I appreciate good shoes, baby. I sure. <laughs> One of my disappointments in life is that I really, really prefer to fly with carry-on baggage. Otherwise, I'd carry a shoe bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I well, I want to. I want to ask you. You know, with all the flying and stuff that you're doing. Um, for those that are that are not entirely f- familiar, I mean, you're you're busy doing a lot of a lot of things, and you're a big advocate for 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 customer and um, for for customer experience and and um, creating you know great cre- uh, customer relationships and so on. And you're usually doing a number of things between leading uh, a brand forum in some city. Um, and, and as you were talking about working with, with John on what you guys are doing with retail relevance, what, what's the, 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 the current, um, thing that's keeping you the most busy? You know, it's really a combination. What keeps me on the road the most is, is the speaking and the emceeing. So 
Brand Innovators does 60, 70 plus events a year. I'm on an annual contract with them and my deal is I show up whenever I can. So, I mean, I could do all of them. I probably do 60 to 70%. So that, that keeps me traveling and on the road. I would say what keeps me most busy is my own interaction and engagement in content production. And the reason for that is a little bit different than others. Like it's like, although I do produce a lot of content and for the purpose of using that content as a marketing tool, as an engagement tool, it's also just what I do, the way I stay active and the way I stay connected to people. Speaking of that, I mean, uh, I've had the, 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 uh, the liberty and, and the, the uh, benefit of, of knowing you for a few years now, but you really share, <laughs> you, you share generously and you share a, a lot from both sides. I mean, when people say, should I, should I, I gotta have a profile for my professional side and I gotta have a pro- profile for my, for my personal stuff and I create this wall and everything and you are sort of unabashedly Ted Rubin across the board, very, very open all the way down to personal things, even related to, you know, your situation with your, with your kids and your pride of being a dad and seeing kids from being in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a divorced uh, relationship and how to manage that stuff. So like most folks would, would feel some really big sense of anxiety um, trying to manage those two and, and letting one sort of cross over to the other. Why do you, feel that that's important for you to be like that? Well, the reason I feel it's, I mean, for me, it's because, I mean, for me, it's easy. It's because it's who I have, you know, I, my entire life from, you know, from youth through college, through every job I've ever had, I've always crossed those lines dramatically and felt that that needed to change, that people want to know who people are, that this whole business persona and personal persona is not only, um, inappropriate in some ways, um, but it's just too hard to manage. You know, it's, it's being not who you are sometimes. And that's very hard. Uh, There's a reason the best actors and actresses make so much money. It's because they, they have a talent that's, that's very hard to manage. So I've always just found for me that the best way for me to get things done, to stay online, to always be saying the same thing, to be, to be showing people what I stand for is to do it across the board because then I don't have to think of, oh, where am I? Am I in a business place? Am I in a personal place? Um, am I doing this job? Am I working for this company? Do I have to be here and there? You know, it's who I've always been. Now, I will not say there haven't been um, downfalls to that at times. I think those, th- th- those days were a little bit more in the past than they are now. Um, I think because there's so much information available, everybody can get to know who somebody is. Even if you, even if you think you have no social profile or you think you're not sharing, it, there's so much information out there, whether it be cameras or other people that are sharing or, you know, it used to be, what was it? You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, what happens anywhere doesn't stay anywhere anymore. Therefore, I don't care if you're the most buttoned down corporate executive who has a persona at work. The, the odds are there's videos of you letting loose somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, regard, I mean, depends on, I mean, you're letting loose might be bird watching. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's hard to keep those things apart. So for me, 
Number one is it's natural. It's who I've always been. Yes, it's gotten me in trouble in the past, but less so now because I think there's less of an expectation of, you know, being that prim proper business person on the one side or the other. But more importantly now, I think everybody wants to know something about people. I think people want to know what people, who they are and what they stand for, even when it's something you don't agree with. You know, and I got to tell you, even the most, you know, the, the most conservative of my business associates or friends, you know, me being incredibly liberal, they like to know what I stand for. They like to know what something is. And a big part of that is doing it professionally, you know, doing it with respect for others. You know, I will not tell you that I, I, that I will not say I never go off the rails. Um, what I never do is lose my cool ever. Uh, I, I never go off on people. I, I have a reputation for that, but that also is a benefit because people know who I am, what I do, and what I stand for. And when I when something does happen where I get accused of something or somebody misinterprets something, which we know that all the time, that stuff can happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, with digital, with email, with text, I usually can just sit back and let my followers and friends defend me. I don't even have to jump in. I mean, it, it goes. It gets as as as. Um, a micro as I had a board meeting at my condo and I don't get along with everybody here because they're all old school and uh, I'm improving the place. And, and literally one of them even said, it's not whether it's good or bad, it's change. And I'm like, why is change? really? Oh yeah. I'm and sure that sounds very familiar for what a lot of people hear internally within their organizations uh, that they work in. Absolutely. And by the way, I've spent, I have a small building. There's only 11 units. There's eight owners. I own three of them. Um, I've spent thousands of dollars upgrading this place. I don't, I don't ask the board for money. I don't ask anybody in the building. I buy new furniture, you know, buy new outdoor furniture. I, I buy plants. I do things because I just, I live here and, and I can afford it. So, you know, that's fortunate. And they, and, and there's still complaints, but the point I was getting at is we're at the meeting and one of the people said to me, well, you know, I've heard, of course they didn't see for themselves because it's always, I heard that you've been yelling at people outside the building about walking their dogs on our lawn. And, and, and I said, you know, um, I, cause I did put up signs saying, please don't relieve your dogs here. You know, this is my home. Um, and I said, I, and Ivy, I was about to say something. And two of the women that live here, older, unbelievably great people. One of them is 90. She's my, she's my hero. She walks four miles a day. She is up and about and everything. She tells you, you got to stay active. She's awesome. But she said, I, Ted never raises his voice. She said, like, I've heard people yell at him, nasty people, whether it's a truck driver. She goes, and he looks up and smiles and speaks in a, in a and one, it happened with one of the tenants. I even looked at one of the guys who, who lives here, who went off on me one day, apologized later. And I said, Nelson, when you went off on me, did, did, he's like, no, you didn't. You just stood there and smiled and looked at me and said, Nelson, can't we talk? And I didn't even have to defend it because that's my brand. That's who I am. Your brand or a business is what you do. Your reputation is what people remember and share. So how does that translate into... Um, how does that translate into those out there who may be thinking about um, being more open with who they are and maybe more authentic and, and, and share more when it comes to building relationships with um, potential partners and customers? Well, first of all, I think it's very important that you do a personal audit. In other words, who do I work with? What environment I'm in? Look, we all live in different situations. I, my, my, I, I try 
as best I can when it comes to something like this to be careful of generalities. It's not necessarily great for everybody. I mean, if you work for a Christian organization or, you know, again, and, and this is not better or bad or it's good, but if you work someplace where they say, oh my God, you can't say certain words. I mean, if you work at Mary Kay, you can't curse. Um, you really can't. You'll get thrown. I, I mean, people have been pulled off the stage for saying, for even saying damn. Yeah. Or, 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 or for saying heck instead of hell. But like I, I did a four day event at Mary Kay and the CMO Cheryl Atkins Green brought me in. And also I had to wear, I had to wear a suit. She wanted me to, and she said, can you do me a favor? You know that suit you wore when you came to that event I brought you to? Could you wear that? And could you wear your bow ties? Cause people here wear ties and she goes, and listen, you know, you can talk all you want about being a divorced dad around here. That's a big topic. Cause Mary Kay was a divorced mom and it's a big part of why she started the company. Um, but you cannot curse, you cannot even use like abbreviations or changes or stuff like that. And, and that's your environment. That's doing an audit of what you're around. So I say be yourself. And yes, I will curse or say things, but I also look for myself around where I am. But more importantly, if you're looking to open up and start sharing things, I think you just got to remember, I mean, if you're going through a bad divorce, you might want to be careful about what you're sharing, you know, so it doesn't go through all the time, but in general, I urge people to be themselves, to share things about their personal life. If you want to grow your business, you want people to take notice of you, to engage with you, to be inspired by your content in one way or another. Inspired doesn't mean, um, um, doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. Um, so you need to look at what you're doing. But I just, I believe, first of all, it's always easiest to be yourself when you're not trying to be something you're not. And I believe that's going to get you a lot of business just unto itself when you're not doing the juggling of which client expects which persona and which way and what I'm saying. And then also you build a certain amount of respect. I mean, I won't take work from McDonald's or, or Coca-Cola. I've been a vegan for three years. I've learned a lot about food and health and what it does for you. And, and I get, I've got, I've been offered influence to work other things, even for what they call their new healthy products. You know, and I'm like, guys, I'm out. I'm sorry. It's not for me. Yes. I mean, that, that doesn't mean if there's an event or a brand innovators at Coca-Cola that I'm not going to, I'm not going to host it because, you know, because that's a different kind of a thing. First of all, that's for brand innovators, but I'm also going to speak my mind there. Now I'm not going to get up there and call Coca-Cola the devil. I mean, and, and certainly they know how to run a business and I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on their marketing and, and, and the way they run their company and their, 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 whatever else we're focusing on because I mean, they're great when it comes to growing a business and getting people to buy and use your product. They're certainly incredibly successful at it, but like, I'm not going to get called out for the fact that, you know, I'm representing a product I don't believe in. So, you know, I, I just think it's when you, when you're yourself that way, you might lose certain business, but the, my, my guess is that will grow your business in the long run because people will say, Oh my God, I want to work with Adam because Adam is straight. Adam tells you what you, what he thinks. Look, I've been, I've been done consulting gigs where I'm in the C-suite telling them that what they're doing sucks. And when someone calls me out, like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, first of all, you know, have you read the title of my blog? I, I know it's tedrubin.com, but if you bothered paying attention, it's called Straight Talk. You know, <laughs> have you read what I write? I mean, you know, to me, there's it, nothing better than getting called out by somebody that's coming in to help you with your business because the odds are the people in your organization are not doing it. Let's talk about that a little bit because I find that really being um, 
it, it really is an advantage and it's an advantage that we are afforded as well with our clients where a lot of times one of the values of bringing myself in or, or my entire team in to work with our clients is that straight talk, that perspective from the outside where we don't, we, we don't have anything tied to internal politics where we're worried about, you know, getting fired for saying the wrong thing or this, this, that, and the other. It's, again, it has nothing to do with whether they're getting fired by saying something politically or, or, or cursing or whatever. It's about being very straight about things um, uh, and saying it in, in, in a, in a, you know, um, it's a straight talk. It's, it's, it's the straight talk. And I think there's a value that people have obviously that they see um, when they're hiring consultants and things like that. Sometimes that sometimes they often miss that opportunity internally to, to create a culture where they, they help foster some element of that within their employees as well. And they could benefit from that. What do you think? Well, of course they could benefit from it. I mean, you need to empower your employees to start thinking to start sharing what's on their mind, to start having brainstorming sessions where brains are actually storming instead of the brainstorming sessions that, are, that happen at most companies who think they're progressive. We're going to have a brainstorming session. Then you get an outline of what you have to talk about. You get what the goal end goal is of the meeting. You also know what your boss's take is already because he lets you know. So you go in there and either you keep your mouth shut because you don't want to express yourself or you just nod your head and go along with what's happening. And most often, very little brainstorming comes out of it. And it, it, whereas there are some companies where it is fostered. You know, you go in there a little bit more blind. They don't give you a straight agenda. Questions get asked on, like uh, where people are not expecting them. So you can't sit back and start thinking, listen, what would John want me to say? And what is the, what is the, what is the accounting staff? And what is operations going to think? You come out and you talk. Now, yes, once you're making a full business strategy, yes, you have to think about IT. You have to think about operations. You have to think about HR. But now when you're brainstorming and trying to come up with a way to very often save your business or a way to re to evolve your business. You know, people, I get accused a lot. People, they hear me say what's happening with retail, like companies that are going out of business and how things are dying. And I'm not saying retail's dying. Retail's evolving. It's changing. I mean, retail is going to be here, you know, and I don't say stores are dying. I say stores are evolving. They're closing at a mass rate because things are changing. And, and, and then there are things around those things that affect it that people don't end up talking about or don't think about. I mean, another retail isn't just changing. Yes, it's changed because digital, because shopping has become less about a place than it is about a service and how someone gets what they want, when they want, where they want it. Expectations and experiences are, 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 are changing in consumers' minds and so on. Yes. And the environment is changing. I mean, stores are going out of business right and left. What does that really mean? That means there's going to be a lot of retail space available. My just I'll throw this in here. I know it's not what the conversation about. I think there's going to be a huge surge in small business, face-to-face uh, -face business in small retail locations who, because it went away for a long time because they couldn't afford any of the space and to stay in business and pay it. But now with, I mean, there's a more on the only that the, the anchor tenants in it are JCPenney, Macy's, Sears, and Lowe's. I venture a guess that every single one of those brands will no longer have storefronts within the next 10 years. Sears is already gone. JCPenney is days away from gasping for breath. Macy's the same. Lowe's personally I think is gonna die because I think, I think uh, Home Depot is eating their lunch on the contractor side and Amazon's gonna eat the rest of that lunch. But what I'm saying is that mall where probably 80%, 90% of the space are major tenants, yeah. 
there's going to be all this space available. What are we going to do with it? And then the other side of it is self-driving cars and, and car sharing are going to eliminate the need for a parking lot. So all that space is going to be available. What's going to happen with it? Are people going to live in it or are people going to experience things in it? So I, I just think that companies need to start. There's so much brain power. There's so much content creation power. There's so much influence uh, power and advocacy power within organizations that has not been unleashed because either of we don't do it that way, fear of it happening, HR stepping in and saying we can't ask people to do that, or just the plain and simple, toe the line, do what you're told. Um, our C-suite will figure it out. But guess what, guys? C-suites don't figure it out. C-suites keep the status quo. It's the mid-level, the directors, the managers, the VPs that create change. They're the ones that are yelling about it's not good or bad, it's the change, huh? A hundred, yes. And they're also the mid-level people, the people that can afford to jump in and, and, and rock the boat because, and I'm being very blunt here, they can always find another job. There's a million manager level, director level, VP level jobs. The higher you get, the more protective you become of what you have because the harder it is to replace it. I mean, think about a CMO. How many CMO jobs are there? Why, why do you think so many CMOs who have left their roles instead of working in another CMO role have now become independent contractor CMOs? They work for different companies that offer part-time CMOs. Believe me, it's not because most of them want to do that. It's because there's nothing else available. Just because the higher you get, the harder it is to place. Also, the higher you get in general, I'm generalizing here. That's okay, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, oh my God, oh my God, you're generalizing. Yes, I'm generalizing. That's how you make a point. But the older you get, the harder it gets to get a job replaced because you become considered less valuable, not up to a certain point. Age is a value. Oh my God, he's been doing this for 20 years. That's amazing. Oh my God, he's been doing this for 35 years. He must be a dinosaur. You know, and it starts getting harder. So, the older you, and, and it tends to be, again, generalizing, the older you get, the higher level you get within organizations. And people stop making those changes. They start trying to protect what they have. The C-suite wants their options. They want them to vest. They want to get their money. They want to be done. They want to be gone. Whereas a, a, a manager or a director or a VP, there's thousands of jobs available. So speak up. Make it a place that you want to work at. Try to make the change. Make a career for yourself. Make a name for yourself. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter, those who matter don't mind. It's a Dr. Seuss quote. A lot of people question whether it was his or not. But either way, it's a quote that I've said to my daughters all, again and again and again. They barely listen to it now because they barely listen to me, period. They're 23 <laughs> 24. But you know, there, there is a time when we have our kids as a captive audience and we can say anything we want. Well, and, and you, you, you kind of helped me bring it full circle in the sense that Things are changing and there, there, there are people in certain positions that have an opportunity to either actually voice their opinion and, and help invoke some of, some of that change or help get folks on board to, to ride that wave of change. Because change, the organizations themselves are not changing for the sake of it, right? They're changing because there are things, as you were, even as you were saying, the technology and the expectations and the behaviors are changing for the consumer. And so you can't you can't ignore them. You can't just let them happen. You've got to understand them and actually ride them. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to lean into them and, and actually make something, uh, make something happen, uh, evolve the business, uh, uh, to, to keep up with those things. And, um, 
by voicing your opinion, by being yourself, by, by sharing maybe in a, a position in a worldview that you have on certain things, um, you provide yourself the opportunity to, to, to be um, ex- not just accepted per se, but brought in. Uh, you, you attract the, that organization that says, yes, we need some of this. Yes, we, we, we appreciate this and we like this, even if the current situation is not the same, even if that current situation is not an organization that appreciates that from you by, by, by authentically sharing your, your position and worldview on that, you're more likely to be able to put that, that change, uh, that, that change agent, that, that, um, that worldview to work in an organization that would appreciate that. Bottom line, when you speak up and speak your mind, it creates trust because people say, Adam will always tell us what he thinks. And I believe whether you're an outside contractor or you're an agency or you're an internal employee, that's an incredibly valuable tag to have that many people are afraid of because it comes with speaking your mind about everything. Because if you only speak your mind about some things, the distrust comes back into it. Well, is this something Adam speaks outright and honestly about? Or is this one of the things that Adam keeps close to his vest? Yeah. So you know, again, I'm generalizing. In general, I believe, now again, there are special situations, but if you build your brand that way as an agency, as a consultant, as an employee, in the end, you're going to be more valuable. You're going to be more valued than the people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you, do you, um, I, I love it because I love the way we, we, we tied it back back around because obviously, as you were saying, we were initially going to be talking about something else and it, it, it puts a little more context even on what I know about you, Ted. <laughs> um, how can, where do you think somebody in this position could uh, uh, could start? If, if, if there was one thing that they could do, I think it, it probably goes back to what you were saying earlier about it being... Um, that audit, right? And internally understanding what, what is it that, that they're doing and what are the spaces that they're actually sharing something about themselves and, and what would be an appropriate, you know, uh, first step to take to getting to know people and letting them get to know them more um, online. I think one of the first places, the first couple places to go, I'd say, first of all, LinkedIn. And I would say, kind of open up and soften some of, you know, your descriptions of what you've done, you know, from the, I came in and managed the staff of 100, um, reorganized the entire organization, built three initiatives, you know, make it a little more human, um, you know, write something that's a little bit more, um, again, depends on your position. If you're in the financial community or if you're a finance guy, it might be a little different, but being that we're from the marketing side, humanize it a little bit, you know, the relationship you built, the things you did, what you left with. I think a great place to start is Twitter because um, I like to say Twitter's like a river and it flows so quickly that yes, those tweets do live forever, but um, they pass by very quickly. So you know, even in every, anytime I am writing something that in my mind, um, I take a stop back, I take a step back and say, Hmm, I wonder if I should post that. Or John Andrews and I are coming up with a lot of things. And <clears throat> every once in a while I'll have something and John will go, dude, you should tweet that. And I'll go, uh, you know, or he'll say, you should share that. And I'll think <clears throat> I share it first on Twitter because first of all, I can, I can try, I can try it out a bunch of different ways there. And not get like, why did you post that five times in a row on Yeah, Facebook? yeah. 
button. On Twitter, I can write the same tweet four times and keep trying to make it a little bit, um, it can be maybe, maybe less um, offensive if, if it's something that's on the border or, and I'll give you an example in a second of what I did it with, but I always go to Twitter first. I try it there. I see how people react. Um, I see if I get kudos. I see if people say, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I have seen if people misunderstand what I wrote. So I'll give you an example. I, I was flying on a plane, it was probably a year ago, it could have been two, the years are starting to flow together, Adam, I got to tell you. Um, and I, I was, it, it was, it had to be in the last two, two and a half, three years because I was vegan and I was just watching I had listened to some conversations about people on the plane talking about their weight and having to try, oh, how hard it is, you know, they, they need to lose weight or they need to be in better shape or they don't want to be sick. And then I'm watching these same people just shoving Doritos and Coca-Colas down their throat one after another. I was up like, you know, by the, you know, ex like I like, I like to stretch by the uh, bathrooms and get up uh, and I'm watching this. And I, I wanted to write something about it. So I went to Twitter. And of course, the first tweet I wrote was probably a little rough, but I knew it was. I knew it. <laughs> and, 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 and some people took offense, you know. And of course, by the way, there's almost nothing you'll write if it's on any kind of a topic where people have really varying opinions, where someone won't be offended. Like, uh, the, oh, you don't understand. Some people can't control themselves. I know that. Oh, my God. What about the person that... You know, this one has a disease or this one has medication that's making them heavy. Like, I got it. Again, I'm generalizing. But I started out and the tweet was probably like, oh, my God, how disgusting. I can't believe these people that, you know, complain about their weight, but then they get on a plane and blah, 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 blah. And by the time it made it to Facebook and LinkedIn, it was still like controversial. But I had I had refined it to the point where I got rid of a lot of the excess complaints of the way I was pointing. And I, I don't remember the exact thing, but you know, it came more about people thinking about their health and their wellness and their things. And you can't just give it up when you're on a plane. Like I, I don't really remember exactly where I went, but what I used Twitter for was to get that immediate feedback to adjust and, 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 and edit and evolve what I was trying to think about and say before I brought it someplace else where once you make that Facebook post, it's one of two things. It, it sits there on the top of your Facebook thing or one or two down unless you're posting, you know, like crazy. Um, and you might have to delete it. And, you know, with Twitter, I mean, unless I really make a slip, which rarely happens. And even when I do, I usually leave them up there. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember a couple that happened in the past. But here's the other tip. When you're doing those things, don't just post and go away. Listen. Pay attention. If you're posting anything that, it, whether it's you know a disagreeing that 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 uh, about a company and their e-commerce strategy, or you know again, it doesn't have to be something controversial. Like I mean, geez, Walmart took ridiculous offense over me saying that that there are a lot of people in in the, in the country that wouldn't buy a product labeled Walmart, but there's nobody in the country that wouldn't buy a product labeled Amazon. Oh my God, Adam, they they were so upset they reached out to brand innovators and told them that if they didn't get me to take down my post, they wouldn't allow our brand innovators at Walmart. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And I laugh because I'm like, what is this, 1968? Like, first of all, take it down. It's been up for two days already. And by the way, it was a rehab, which I made very clear in my post, of something I said on Cheddar. Cheddar wasn't taking it down. Yeah. 
Yeah. Channels and network, especially like now, it's it's not just oh quick things. But the, the point I'm making again is that um, you can refine things, you can you can listen to things, you can shape things before you. Put, and, and by the way, I had done that. I said it on Cheddar, then I tweeted something out, and before it became the post that they were so upset with. You know, and, and by the way, I didn't use any lousy language. I was professional about it. I was making a statement about the markets they represent. And, you know, and, and I know I'm going, I'm going a, a little bit on a tangent now and it's a little bit off topic, but if there are brands listening, if there's somebody out there that you think has a voice, because clearly why would they care if they didn't think I had a voice? And it's funny because Mark Sternberg from Brand Innovator is always saying to me, Ted, your voice is a lot bigger than you think it is. And I'm like, oh, really? Come on. Like, it's just not that important. And then these guys reach out and complain. And my contention is, why wouldn't they reach out and say, hey, Ted, we heard your opinions. We'd love to have you to Bentonville and show you what we're doing to make that not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Someone would say, well, why would they care about bringing you to Bentonville? Well, why would they care about what I said? <laughs> well, you know, and companies all the time, instead of, you know, if Coca-Cola has a problem with what I'm saying about their product or McDonald's, why not reach out and say, hey, we'd love to educate you or here are our challenges and how we're looking to evolve. Again, if that person is someone whose who's opinion you value enough to want to discredit it or to get it to stop, why not take the other approach, thank them for their input, which is what I mean. When, like one of the things I do in, in, incessantly is when people criticize me or get angry with me, I thank them for sharing. And, and I have a conversation with them and I very, I mean, I, I can't, won't, I won't say I never lose my cool, but I very rarely do. And I mean, if you see my name on, on Facebook, it's called, it's Ted Libtard Rubin. And, the, and besides the fact that I started playing with the name because it, it, it created conversation and that happened um, because of something Vicky Fitch did at one time by mistake. And I changed my name to Ted Rubin Rubin. And that's a whole other story that we could be on here for a long time with. I changed it to Liptard because all these, all these um, um, conservative folks or people on the other side of the fence were, were, were calling me a Liptard as an insult. They were like writing it on my posts and saying it. And I said, you know what? I, I'm going to embrace it because what they're saying I am, I, I don't necessarily like the way they're phrasing it, but it is what I am. I'm a liberal and I believe in liberal causes. So by the way, since I changed my name to that on, on Facebook, I have not been, that has not been used as a slur and insult to me once. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember seeing both the Ruben Ruben and then, and then also the, the, the libtard. And right. I didn't necessarily, I, I figured, I figured as much with the libtard one, what, what it was you were, you were going after, because obviously there's a lot of discussion of, of politics. And I do think that you try to do your best to voice your opinion, but not get, um, disrespectful let's just say that um and, and so i think that the the sort of circling it circling it back around it, it reminds me that also just because you can share more about yourself and you can get into conversations doesn't mean doesn't mean you should every single time for one um and that and and, and that i think that's a little bit of what we have going on i mean we've both been using digital and social media for an awful long time and and i think we've seen it turn into a place where um sometimes there there's a there's a slew of folks that are probably not sharing enough to to join in on the conversation or create conversations or, or, or build relationships but there's an awful lot of people who spend an awful lot of their free time um sharing or or reacting to too much and and Agreed. not 
pausing and being mindful, I think what you're talking about listening, both in this case, it's, it's listening and looking at that opportunity in a, in a really mindful, level-headed way, in a way that Walmart could have, could have done, for instance, with you, um, in, in the same as an individual person of how can you look at this as a conversation and, um, and, and, and understand that just because you may have an opinion on the 50 tweets that are coming down your stream doesn't mean that it's warranted that you, you, you have to open your mouth. I, I'm kind of in that mode right now where for, for me, I think I'm sharing content far less than I had in the past. And part of it has to do with just the, 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 the tone that you get sometimes with the way that things are on, on social. And I mean, I, I've just got a, a, a three-year-old now in, in my life and, and I've just got other things to, to do that I don't want, I would rather have those meaningful conversations with folks that I know will, will have value. Um, you know, there'll be a value exchange. It'll be a level-headed discussion like yourself and, and other folks, even if folks that don't exactly think the way that I do, as long as it can be respectful. But I do, um, I do see that there's value and I am sort of ramping back up to ser- sort of figuring out how much time do I want to spend you know, building some relationships up by sharing more of, of, of the things that I care about um, online without getting caught up in the kerfuffle of all the stuff that's happening right now, primarily due to, you know, politics and everybody feeling like because they've got a belly button, that means they also should be, you know, have an opinion. Um, it, always, it always makes sense to take a step back and look. Um, it, I, I, a practice that I do all the time is I very rarely press send on anything without taking a breath, without reading a second time. I can't tell you, I mean, it's a huge percentage of times where I adjust a tweet, uh, a Facebook post, something before it goes. Um, or, or shortly thereafter, obviously a tweet you'd have to redo or, but I mean like Facebook, I'll go in and edit a lot. Well, I'll write it and then I'll look at it. I, I also try to always read what I've sent. I try to always read it because it's different than when you're writing it. So when I yeah. make, I post something to Facebook, unless it's, you know, somebody, you know, an article or something where I'm just posting the article and the title, if I write an opinion or even a comment, um, especially if it's, a, if it's a comment of something I'm passionate about, whether it's marketing or sales or, or, or personal or political, I always read through it a second time after I write it. After I, I, I read it again before I send, and then I read it after I post it to see how it looks as a like posted and very often I'll edit it, you know, it, 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 make it more either express myself better or maybe take the edge off it. Cause very often when we respond very quickly, we tend to have more of an edge than when we think for a moment. It, it, it goes back to our, our, our mindful friend, Janet Fouts, right? I, I think she would advocate very much for that, that breath. And, and just because you can publish something in two seconds, doesn't mean you shouldn't take 10 doesn't mean you shouldn't take 15, you know, doesn't mean you shouldn't take a few minutes, let alone take a breath, just like you said. It goes with everything, Adam. It goes to the, I mean, my business partner, John, says this all the time to companies, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, you know, and and, and it has a lot to do, we talk about data a lot and how it's misused and how it's overused and (coughs) how it's, it's not, it's lost the human touch. And just because you know something about someone doesn't mean that you should use it. And it, you, you need to put a little bit of thought into these things. It's why we like, John and I like to say that, you know, marketing will win when humans control the machines, not the machine controlling humans. Well, 
I, I, I want to, uh, I want to be respectful of your time because you're, you're awesome. And, and you're always been generous. Whenever I've seen you in person, you've been, you've been great about listening to me and, and giving me your, your honest feedback. And I, I super, uh, appreciate that. I have a really important final question to ask you, like the most important of all these questions that we have. You mind if I ask? Please do. All right. What is your favorite pair of socks out of all the socks that you've ever received what do they what is your favorite pair if you can share where you got them from and what and describe what they look like oh my god that's like you know people ask me that stuff and i probably have about 300 favorite pairs i mean as a matter of fact uh, i'm now like going back in some of my old ones because i have all these ones i go oh like i love going through the boxes i must have a you know 1500 pairs of socks and you know i go through them like oh my god like these were amazing. Adam bought them for me because I remember when you bought me those amazing socks and, and you know. But I, I the I'm not fishing for mine, by the way. I'm not. <laughs> Don't worry. Well, I'll tell you, it's hard to nail it down to one, but I would probably say, out of all of them, there was a small company down here in Florida, who I did some work for um, because I knew somebody there, and she asked me to. Um, if I could present at, at a much lesser fee than my usual, and 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 of course I did it for a friend, um, and the audience was amazing because they were so into it and thankful, and they 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 presented me with a pair of return on relationship socks, mm. which went through an evolution because they made them and I'm like oh my god like like you you like, could you do it this color and could you change this platform and could you do this and so I ended up getting over the course of time about three different pairs from that. Um, but I would say that I love those because like I think of them when I'm going to do something with somebody that I really love or care about, like this is going to be a great return on relationship weekend or, or, or something like that. Uh, so those, but there are so many others, but again, you know, my, uh, as I mentioned you in an earlier call, my college roommate who uh, I knew for, I met my freshman week of college. I knew for 43 years, uh, he passed away in February. He was living with me here in Florida and working for me the last few years because um, he he, he kind of had some 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 um, bumps in the road and then some health bumps in the road um, and he gave me a pair of foosball socks. Huh. And by the way, I met Bruce over a foosball table in the student union at Cornell in 1976 in August during freshman week. And I was playing. I was playing football with someone from my dorm that said I have to go. And this guy was watching, and it was Bruce. And he said, "Hey, man, you need a, someone to play defense? I'll jump in." And we ended up becoming not only best friends, we became football partners. We played in tournaments when we were in college. Um, we used to mostly we just didn't have to pay for drinks all night at a couple of local school bars. Um, and he gave me. He found this pair that had like you know the the foosball men on them. Yeah. And. You know, they always meant a lot to me, but since he passed away, they've become very special. That's awesome. That that definitely makes uh, makes a lot of sense. What those would be, the, those would stand out. I mean, that's got decades of sentimental value to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's really special. Well, Ted, I, I hope uh, I hope we can. Well, I hope we can see each other in person sometime soon. But I, but I do hope that we can uh, talk again uh, on the podcast. And I really appreciate your time. You know, my pleasure. I, I'd like to leave your audience with with two things. Um, uh, one thing, and both of these are things I say a lot because I really believe in them and they're easy to absorb and, and, and wrap your, your, your arms around. Uh, the first one is that relationships are like muscle tissue. Uh, the more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. 
you know, relationships, just like a muscle, you've, you've got to exercise them or you're going to lose that value. And it's why I say, as an adjunct to that, I say that boomers are better at social media than, than younger generations. Um, and what I mean is they're better at relationship building. And not because they're better. It's not, it has nothing to do with the generation. It has to do with experience and age. Because the older you get, the more experience you have. And the, the more you've practiced doing something. You know, I like to say I can walk into a room where there's conflict. And I can make a decision on the spot. I, I know exactly what to do to, to, to ramp up that confrontation or exactly what to do to bring it down. And that's because of experience, not because of a generation or anything else. And then the second thing I want to leave them with is that we all talk about networks and how important it is to you know, reach people and, and to have a big network. But I want you to remember that a network gives you reach, which is very important, but a community gives you power. Networks connect, communities care. So always be doing whatever you can to build communities in my entire life. I've always brought people together. I, I didn't realize what it was. I thought I was a, really a networker. What I discovered was that I'm a community builder. And then it, it, what I, what's really added value to that for me is the overlapping of communities where you get almost an exponentially powered community that crosses over from a few different ones where there's people that are part of all of them and then really become part of your super community. It's it's funny in my head. I was thinking I've said ABC always be connecting, and then I was like, "Oh, but that works." Always build community, so that that applies there as well. Oh, right? you know, Dan, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I like that. Nice, nice. Well, uh, uh, say hi to John for me, and um, again, super appreciate it, man. And I hope to see you in person. I know when you when you're out this area sometime. Hopefully, we can connect. Okay. Look, looking forward, it looks like I'll be there the last week in June, and if I am, I'll let you know, and I'll be happy to add you to the uh, guest list for any of the brand innovators that I'm involved with. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Okay, buddy. Take care. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Marketing in the Raw. We love, we love, we love that you spent time with us. There's so many other podcasts out there and things to do in general, and you spent it with us. If there was one favor that I could ask of you, it would be that you subscribe to this podcast. And if you've already done that, then if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it, wherever you download it and subscribe to it, that would be incredible, incredible. It helps other folks find the show. And uh, lastly, if you've done both of those things already, if you could share this episode with somebody that would find it useful, the topics in this uh, would help them out. It would uh, make their day. It would pique their interest, something like that. It would be awesome if you could go ahead and share this with them. And uh, last but not least, if you just want to connect, you have questions about anything in the show, you want to send me an interview uh, potential person to talk to or idea, uh, or uh, you want to talk about digital marketing, go ahead and email me at adam at secretsushi.com or just visit secretsushi.com. Until next time, thank you. Take care.